You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. because Jesus knew the facts of her life and guess what? Loved her anyway. I stood up here and told you all the complete facts of my life. I wonder how many of you would still be sitting here after I finished. We sometimes hold back on the facts of our life, but Jesus knows them and he loves us in the middle of them. He loves us anyhow. And I love this. Nowhere do we read Jesus going, mm. He never condemned her. He never judged her. How many of us know what it's like to love unconditionally? Even with spouses or children, we love them for who they are despite their flaws, not in spite of them. Pastor Dave reminds us today that even though Jesus knows every little thing about you, even though he knows your shortcomings and flaws, he loves you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Harvest is Ready. You are We are in chapter 4, specifically verses 27 through 42. So if you'd like to turn into your Bibles to those chapters or to those verses, won't be jumping around too much, but we have a couple of verses that we'll be going to. So we are in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, and we are going to be looking at verse 27 to begin with. So if you've turned there, and if you found your place, I'm going to read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came. And they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes a harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. He sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors." And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, 
For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So, I guess the first question I have to ask you, or actually the second question, is have you ever been so excited about an event in your life that you couldn't stop talking about it? An event that was so powerful to you that you wanted everybody to hear about it, everybody you came in contact with, you just wanted to tell them about it because this event was so important in your life. I have discovered, and it's my knowledge from personal experience, that that which excites you is what you talk about the most. That which is on your heart and really, really excites you, that which is what you use constantly coming up in conversation. For example, if you are a sports nut, and that's all you think about, you watch all the games and all the things, and you want to talk about that all the time with your friends. Hey, did you see the game last night? Wasn't that cool? Did you see that home run? Did, did you see that touchdown? Did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see that goal? All those things are on your heart. You love and you're excited about the game and you can't wait to go see the game. Then there's my favorite topic, food. <laughs> we all seem to get excited when it comes to food. I mean, think about that. If we never got excited about food, there wouldn't be a food network. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be watching it. And how come is it every time we're in a restaurant, and we're all sitting around waiting for our meal to be served. What do we talk about? Hey, have you been to this restaurant? You should try this. Or how about this restaurant? Or how about that restaurant? And all the, you talk about food. And all your thoughts are, mmm, I'm hungry. Let's eat. Food. We're excited about that. We talk about that. And unfortunately, I'm sure all of you have met someone who is most excited about themselves. And all they want to talk about is them. And if you're tired of talking about them, they'll allow you to talk if it's about them. So you feel those people. So what we're excited about, we talk about. Excitement can be contagious. Excitement can be contagious. If you had a school teacher in your past who excited you about a particular subject that you weren't really thrilled about, but made the subject so exciting to you, so intriguing, you learned a lot, and you loved that, and you, you, you gleaned from his enthusiasm. I had several teachers like that, and they were very, very impressive to me, and, and they helped me during my career. They taught about things that I wasn't particularly excited about, but it was just their enthusiasm about the subject and how they presented it, and how they bubbled over with this excitement. Sometimes I've noticed that when people are so excited about something... They speak so fast that you can't even hear what they're saying, and then they keep talking, so you don't know what the heck they're saying. People tend to get excited, and they talk. So what excites you? What is it, the one thing that, that, that excites you? We have been discussing this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. That's where we've been at the beginning of chapter 4. We read that during the conversation, Jesus did many things to get this woman to see his point of view. He attracted the woman's heart by just simply speaking to her in a civil manner. He showed interest in her life. She was an outcast. She was an immoral woman, a woman who was constantly put down. A woman was constantly shamed because of her lifestyle. But Jesus showed her compassion. Jesus actually spoke to her, which was unheard of for a Jew, let alone a rabbi, to speak to a woman in public. The way he spoke to her touched her heart. He was non-condemning. 
He was non-judgmental. He simply loved her. Jesus softened her heart as he spoke the word to her. Words of life. And after Jesus attracted her heart, he aroused her mind by speaking about the gift of God and the offer of living water. And this got her thinking about that. He told her that when you drink this living water, you'll never thirst again. And her mind started to think. Her mind started to think about things. And her, and her perception was, he's different than the rest of the men I know. He's different. There's something about him. And her interest was piqued. He made her think. In fact, he even made her want the water. And she said to him, give me this to drink. I want this to drink. Well, certainly. Awakening her conscience, which led her to confess her sinful lifestyle. Jesus simply said, go and get your husband. And she looked at him. And her conscience was awakened, and she was actually convicted. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that which you say is true. You don't have a husband, plus you've had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. Of this you speak truthfully. She opened her heart and spoke truthfully to this gentleman who she never knew because his awakening of her conscience convicted her heart. The fact that he was talked to her, he attracted her heart. The fact that he aroused her thinking, it led her to confess her sin to him. And then he says something incredible. She says to him, well, I know that when the Messiah comes, he was going to show me all things. And Jesus looks at her and says, he that speaks you is that am he. I am, I'm the Messiah. Paraphrasing, I got tongue-tied. I'm the Messiah, he says. This must have blown the woman away. It must have blown the woman away. As we look at the progression of this woman's thought towards Jesus, you can see the progression in the verses. When she first meets Jesus in verse 9, she calls him a Jew. How can you, a Jew, say to a Samaritan woman? Jews didn't have any relationship with the Samaritans at all. They thought they were unclean. They thought they were dirty. They were half-breeds. They didn't want about them. Next thing, when he gives her the living water, she says, I perceive, are you greater than our father Jacob? And then she moves on. And then all of a sudden she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then we see her running into the city. And what does she say? Could this be the Christ? Look at the progression. It's incredible the way she, Jesus moved her through from him just being a Jew to him being the Messiah. So as we consider today's verses, we see the woman is overwhelmed with excitement. She cannot contain herself. An excitement which she must tell others about. An excitement which becomes contagious. Let's look at 27 through 30. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water apart, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So his disciples return, and here's Jesus talking to this woman. And they're amazed. They're amazed that he's talking to this woman. A rabbi didn't even talk to his wife in public. He was a rabbi talking to this woman and a Samaritan at that. No one did this. But they didn't dare ask him, why are you talking to her? They didn't dare. The woman sees them coming and she bolts. She runs away, forgetting her water pot. Now, there has been so much speculated as what she did with the water pot. What did she do with the water pot? Well, look at it. All it says is, the woman then left her water pot. We can't put things in there that we don't know. Now, we can suppose, it's pretty cool if you suppose what she did with it and why she left it, 
I come up with several reasons, but they're not scriptural, so we really don't know why. Maybe she left her water pot because she was so afraid of the disciples that they were going to shame her and call her names because she was a Samaritan that she just bowled it and there it was. I don't know. Maybe she left the water pot because she didn't need it any longer because she was filled with living water. Some even say she crashed the water pot and broke it. It's not scriptural, but it sounds good. Why? Because she was no longer contaminated by the world. She didn't need the world's water. She had the living water. She had living water, and she had no need of it, so she left her pot. Why would I need this pot? I have the love of Christ in my heart. Maybe she was just so excited that the Messiah was standing in front of her that, man, she left everything behind. Who knows what else she left behind besides her water pot? She just ran. She couldn't believe it that the Messiah was standing and talking to her. Can you picture this woman running? She's running from the well full speed ahead. The words of Jesus ringing in her ears, I am he, I am he, I am the Messiah. And she's running, and she's panting, and she's breathless, and the only thing she can say is, come, come, come and, come and see this guy. Come, you got to come, come on, you got to see this guy. I mean, she's really excited. The guys look at her like, uh, what's going on with this lady? But they ran with her, they came with her. Could he be the Messiah? Now, don't get me wrong on this thing. Could this be the Messiah? I believe the lady knew that this was the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? She was letting them come to do what? Find out for themselves. Come and see. Come and see. In fact, it's the cry of the empty tomb. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see. Jesus isn't here. Go and tell. He's risen. That was the cry from the empty tomb. But go. Go see it. The woman was excited because she met Jesus. She was amazed because Jesus knew the facts of her life, and guess what? Loved her anyway. I stood up here and told you all the complete facts of my life. I wonder how many of you would still be sitting here after I finished. We sometimes hold back on the facts of our life, but Jesus knows them, and he loves us in the middle of them. He loves us anyhow. And I love this. Nowhere do we read Jesus going, mm. he never condemned her. He never judged her. He simply spoke to her and loved her and offered her salvation, offered her living water. No one had ever spoke to this woman before like this. No one had ever had compassion on this woman before like this. She was always used by men. She was always abused by her friends. She was an outcast. They thought she was immoral. They wouldn't want anything to do with her. That's why she went to the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day. Nobody wanted any part of her. The only thing she could tell others, though, what she had in her heart was what Jesus had done in her life. We underestimate what Christ has done in our lives when we come before people to tell them. He told me the things I did, all the things. She told her story, and then she said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You decide. Come on. Come and see for yourself. The woman's excitement was contagious. Look at verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. They went out of the city and they came to him just because of what the woman said. Now, they could have been curious. They could have been trying to find out, but they were still coming out to see him. Now, in verses 31 through 38, it appears to be an interlude in the story. It seems like all of a sudden it takes a turn, but there's nothing wasted in Scripture. Everything in Scripture is viable, and this is very important to the story. Very important to what we're reading and what we're talking about today. Let's look at verses 31 through 38. 
In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I love that. The disciples are thinking physical. The disciples are thinking physical. It's like my Italian mother-in-law. Did you eat? Did you eat? You have to eat. You eat? That's what they're asking, they're asking Jesus. Did you eat? Jesus says, I have food you don't even know about. Peter, did you buy him? I didn't get him any food. How about, I didn't get him any food. They're like looking at each other. They're confused. Where did food come from? Jesus is talking spiritually. Disciples are thinking literal food. Jesus is talking a whole spiritual realm. Jesus wasn't concerned about food. He had been nourished by God's word. He had been nourished by talking to the woman. He wasn't concerned about eating. He was speaking about doing the Father's will, talking about leading people to salvation. He was concerned with the upcoming harvest. His focus was on the harvest. His focus was on what was happening. He wasn't concerned about food. Now, I've said this before, and I said this in many, many incidences. And again, I'll pick on my wife because she's not here to defend herself. But she thinks I'm crazy because what happens is you get with the men in retreat or you get into a great Bible study and things are going on and you really get into the Word of God. You're really starting to get meat and the Holy Spirit is moving left and right and you're just getting overwhelmed. The last thing you think about is food because God is nourishing your spirit. God is nourishing your soul and all. He sustains us with His Word. The last thing you want to do is stop and get something to eat. All you want to do is sit there and just receive whatever the Lord is dishing out. It doesn't really matter. And I've had that happen in my life. Jesus was no longer hungry for physical food. He had been refreshed by his spiritual conversation with the woman and the prospect of the town coming to see him. See, the will of God ought to be the source of our strength. The will of God. When we do the will of God, it should be satisfying to the child of God. Doing the will of God is always satisfying. It's as satisfying as if you sit down to a scrumptious feast doing the will of God. If we were doing what tears us down instead of what builds us up, we have to question whether it's the word of God or the will of God. Jesus did not find the Father's work to be burdensome or distasteful. He viewed it as nourishment to his soul. It satisfied him inwardly and it fed him. In Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. We should delight to do the word of God. We should delight to do God's will. It's our source of food. Jesus then takes the image of food and he transforms it to the harvest, which is where the food comes from. He takes the image of food. That's what they were focused on. That's what the disciples were fixated on. He says, now look, look, behold, lift up your eyes. Take a look out there. Here comes the harvest. He said, it's white harvest. It's white with harvest. Many believe that it was that way because the men of Samaria wore white turbans. 
And they believed that all you could see was all these white turbans coming towards you. So Jesus says, look, the fields are white on the harvest. I don't know. Maybe it means that it's white hot. The field is so hot, it's ready to go. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to be harvested. It, it's coming towards us. He points to them. The harvest that Jesus was referring about was the Samaritans. The dreaded Samaritans. The half-breeds. The outcasts. The ones who were disdained by the Jews. I can imagine the disciples standing there when Jesus was saying that. They're looking at each other going, those guys? The harvest is ready. The only thing that's needed is a faithful worker to claim it. God's still looking for faithful workers to claim the harvest today. Today is the truth. The fields are ripe with harvests, but it's not for whom we think. Claiming the harvest is not for whom we think. The harvest is for the forgotten ones. The forgotten culture, those who are ignored, the ones who we don't want to be around, the people we pass by every day on our way in and out of Wawa, the ones that are ripe for the picking. Every one of us thinks, well, you know, we need to win the quarterback for Christ because he'll make a great representative for Christ. Yeah, he would. We need the rock star to come to Christ. He's the one because whatever he does, you know, people will be drawn to him. Well, that's true. We needed somebody famous to come to Christ. Well, that's also true. But I'll tell you right now, here in Lower Township, we're facing a harvest today. And I'll tell you who it is. It's the outcasts. It's the homeless. It's the addicts. It's the one nobody wants to be around. That's the harvest that's facing us today. That's the harvest that we're going, wait a minute, we don't want any part of this. That's the harvest that's coming to us right now. It's almost like back in the late 60s with the hippie movement. Nobody wanted to be around the dirty hippies with long hair and dirty feet and dirty clothes. Nobody wanted to be around them. See, this is the same thing. Now we have a different culture. It's a culture that's all bent out of shape. They don't fit in society. They don't fit in, in, in what's going on. And they're, they're out there. And, and they're confused because nobody wants them. Nobody wants to come near them. The ones unwanted by society. I'm not diminishing the need for all to be saved. I'm not diminishing that odd because it's God's perfect will that all would come to the knowledge of Christ. I'm not diminishing that. But I see a harvest in our township of these type of people, the outcasts. It's white with harvest right here in Lower township. This is where we live. Jesus is sending us to labor and to reap. Just like the Samaritans who were broken people. The Samaritans were despicable in the eyes of the Jews. They were barred from the temple. They wouldn't give access to the Lord. They were barred from any type of worship. We have people right here in our eyes, in our midst, in our area, who are despicable to the eyes of the local government. They've been barred from churches or forced to take a back seat. I believe we are ready for the harvest and they're ready to be picked. I believe they're ready for the word of God. The harvest is ready. I say, let's go get it. I say, let's go move and get the harvest. We've given you opportunity after opportunity to show the love of Christ. We had a funeral and we went into a church that was filled with people, most of them unsaved, and we had a chance to witness Christ to these people. Witness Christ. We're going to be at the campground, witnessing the people from all over the nation, from Canada, from all sorts of states who are there, just playing music and being there, talking with them. What did Jesus do with the woman? He struck up a conversation. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You are Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.